All right, everybody good today? Yeah. All right. Man, got the lights on in here. Love it. See everybody who's falling asleep. It's going to be great. All right, cool. Uh, no, my name is Michael Page. For those of you that are first time here this morning, uh, I just want to welcome you as, as Jamin shared. Uh, we're just so excited that you're here. God is doing so much in the life of our church, uh, in our people. Um, just this morning, I was just so uh, overwhelmed with the volume of voices in this room, right? And um, sometimes it's good to strip back away the production and the lighting and the things and just be able to be with God's people hearing each other sing the praises of God, right? And so this morning, I love to be able to do that. And I never want us to miss this, right? Because so many times we come into a room filled with people and uh, church in our country, as it comes to, a, it, gets, it gets easy to hide in the church, right? And I don't think that was ever Jesus's uh, design for the church, for someone to be able to come in and hide and walk away and leave unchanged, right? So our heart is to see um, one another. I, I love the imagery of the lights to be able to see one another, right? And so, um, and so today, I, that's our heart. Um, today we're going to be talking about spiritual blindness, um, Jesus being the light of the world, shining light into the darkness. And so for those of you here this morning for the first time, um, buckle up because this is about to be a great, um, just a message out of John 9. Um, not me, but the Lord, right? So um, John 9 is where we'll be at today. And so let's, uh, if you have your Bibles, I pray that you would turn there with us um, and begin to, uh, we're going we're gonna to go through all 41 verses. You're like, all right, well, hope you packed the lunch. It's going to be good. So, <laughs> and so this series has been really good. I mean, I love the Come and See series, right? Um, anybody else enjoyed this Come and See Jesus, uh, seeing him for who he is, right? Um, and so there's always something to learn, right, when you open the Bible. I love this book. There's many people in this room right now that take this book for granted. There's many people right now that, that take the Lord for granted. There's many people in this room right now that are spiritually blind. And I pray this morning, my prayer for you all week has been that God would shine the light of his glory on your heart this morning. Whether you've been saved uh, for years and years and you've just kind of like drifted, whether you've never been saved and you think you're saved because you've attended church your entire life, whatever it may be, I pray that God would shine the light of his glory in your heart. And anytime you open this book, one thing I know it promises, and one thing I know because I've seen it in my own life, is that it will change your life if you let it. If you read the Bible for what it is, a revelation of who God is, right? It'll change your life. And so this morning, let's let that be our heart. So can we just pray this morning that God, whatever may be in our life right now, you, me, all of us, whatever may be in our life that's not glorifying to you, God, rip that out right now in Jesus' name. Can we agree with that? Well, you say, yeah, right? But our heart is that we would really let the Lord do that and let him, let him read us and let him draw out of us what he wants to do. So the book of John, as we've said each week, was written very deliberately for that purpose, right? It was written so that we might come and see Jesus for who he is, right? We said that the four gospels were written to four different audiences and John being the audience of everybody, right? So we, we love the way that it was written. And so this is why we named this series, Come and See, because we believe that something very supernatural happens when you come to Jesus and see him for who he truly is. We saw that last week with a Samaritan woman. Remember that? Remember that? She was going to this well every week, every day, every day, every day, every day. And we saw how Jesus was re relating that to the wells that we go to in our lives, whether it be pornography or alcohol or relationships or love or houses or money, whatever it may be. We go to all these wells to dig up something that's going to fulfill us whenever we have to keep going back and back and back and back, and they never fulfill us. And then we saw Jesus feeding the 
5,000 people. Actually, it was more than 5,000, depending on the women and children that were there. We saw him feeding thousands of people. And we see that Jesus is the creator of all things in, 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 in physics and the laws of time and space doesn't apply to him because he created time and space. And so we looked at these things. We saw that until we stopped going to these wells in our lives that never satisfy. And you can ask yourself right now, have you ever gone to a well of lust, of money, of greed, of relationships? Has any of those things ever satisfied you, right? Like even your husband or your wife sitting to your left or right cannot satisfy you completely like you long to be satisfied, right? Our heart is that we would see, like last week, we saw that the gospel, it liberates us from that need to seek approval or fulfillment in anything other than Jesus. And that's the beauty. So today, we're going to be looking at John 9, and we're going to dive deeper into that theme. So John 9 is going to show us uh, Jesus healing a blind man, and he's going to use this miracle to highlight the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees, but also he's going to highlight the spiritual blindness of the entire Jewish race in that moment, right? He's going to show them, like, you're missing the point here. Okay, and so today we're, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look and see that spiritual blindness. Um, if you're in, if you're in this place this morning, you're like, and you're spiritual blind. Guess what? You're going to be like, yep, I'm spiritual blind. We're spiritually blind. That's, not, that's usually not how spiritually blind people respond, right? Uh, you you might not realize it until Jesus opens your eyes, and then you're like, I've been blind, right? No, I was blind, but now I see, right? Only way you knew you were blind is if you can see, right? So my heart is that every one of us here today are blind until Christ opens our eyes. You hear that this morning? Let's, let's cling to those truths because, and I, I think something that Jamin spoke on, the, the beauty of Christ that we just overlook all the time, the creation, all these things. I was noticing the sunrise coming through the clouds this morning as I was driving here, and I was thinking about, man, I miss that so many times because I'm so busy going to the next thing. But the thing I, I pray that we would see today is that we've lost the fact that your salvation was a miracle. So the person in here that says, I don't really have a testimony, you're missing it. The fact that you were saved is a miracle in itself. And so my heart today is that we would see that. And the second thing I want to see today is that God has a Christ-exalting purpose for everything in your life. Everything that's happened in your life, there is a Christ-exalting purpose that was put there for that. And my heart today is that you would see this. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into John um, chapter 9. So God, we love you. We thank you. I pray that our hearts are soft. God, I love to hear your people worship. God, I pray that we would just always be humble. We would always be submitted. God, I pray to this morning that if there's a heart here that's not submitted, that is not surrendered, God, that you would draw them to yourselves this morning. Let no one leave here, God, without an opportunity to be saved from their sin and be transferred into the kingdom of light this morning. God, we love you. We praise you. We know that you're going to do it because it brings you glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first week of this series, I started off with an illustration. Remember that? Don't shake your head. Yeah, you don't remember what I talked about the first week. So we started off with an illustration. I said, imagine for a moment that you, were, had, you had been blind your entire life, and by some medical marvel, you can now see. All of a sudden, the lights came on. You can see everything that you weren't previously able to see. What would that be like? Wow. Right? I can see colors. I can see my beautiful wife. I can see the, the sky, the mountains. I can see the oceans. I can see all the things that I couldn't see before. And then we talked about C.S. Lewis. One of the things he said was believing in Jesus is like believing that the sun has risen, right? We believe not only because we can see the sun, we believe it's risen because by, by the sun, I can see everything else, right? That's what we say. And so I love that. And so um, you look in the book of Isaiah, you see Isaiah, um, you know, he prophesied over and over, like multiple times. I think there's eight or nine prophecies in the book of Isaiah, 
about Jesus, when he would come the Messiah, when he came, he would open blind eyes. And so just to kind of give you two or three of those, Isaiah 29, 18, what does it say? Be on the screen, there it is. On that day, the death will hear the words of a document, and out of the deep darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Right, their eyes will see. Isaiah 35, 4 through 5. Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. You look further in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is going to uh, quote Isaiah 61 as a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to do what? Preach good news. He sent, me to, to, he sent me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release of the captives and what? Recovery of the sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And let me tell you, when Jesus came, he would, he would heal the physically blind. There was eight occurrences of that in the Gospels. And the reason he did that was to highlight their spiritual blindness every time. He would use that physical blindness to, to represent the spiritual blindness of the age. And so this is important in John 9 that we're going to read this morning. It's important because Jesus, back in John chapter 8, he had just declared himself to be what? The light of the world. I'm the light of the world, right? And so he had just proclaimed himself that in verse 12 of chapter 8. So as a public demonstration of this claim, he gave sight to a man that was born blind. So let's look in John chapter 1. Let's read the first two verses. We're going to go verse by verse to the book of John 9 today. And so this is what it says. As he was passing by, he saw a man born or blind from birth. His, desi- his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So if you're a note taker or a Bible uh, uh, marker, upper person, um, circle the word saw. Circle the word saw there. And it's an important word because Jesus saw this man. Okay, so we're going to get to that in a second. But so Jesus is, is leaving the temple, right? And he notices he notices, he notices a man who had been blind since birth. And so I love this because let's catch you up some because we didn't read chapter 7 and 8 um, in this series. And so I, I told you this is not exegetical. This is going to be an instantaneous thing where people meet Jesus. They come, they see, they're saved. Okay, It's leading up to Easter, right? We're going to be in John 20 for Easter. It's going to be great. Um, it's going to be like we planned it. So in chapter 7 and chapter 8, we see Jesus at the temple because he'd been celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, the Sukkot, 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 however you say that. It's a festival that was established by God in Leviticus 23, verses 33 to 34. And it's one of three festivals that the Jewish people would travel to the temple in Jerusalem and celebrate a week-long festival. They would build these booths. It was sometimes called the Festival of Booths. They would build these little shelters out there, and they'd live in them for seven days and have a party. And love Jesus and worship or worship God, right? And so I love it. So Jesus came late to this. And so you see back in John chapter 7, he's arguing with the disciples a little bit. Now, I'm not going to go. Y'all go. Y'all have fun. I'm going to stay back, right? My time's not come. He says that a lot. My time is not here. But he, then he changes his mind and decides to go. I'm like, wait a minute. You can't change your mind, Jesus, right? That messes up the whole sovereignty thing. But the next day, he goes. He says he, he goes because he didn't want to, but he wants to go. He wants to lay low. He goes under the radar. But he's Jesus. And he thought nobody was going to notice him, but he's Jesus, right? So he begins to teach in the, in the temple, and people were like amazed by his teaching. What is going on here? And so the next day after that, Jesus came, comes back to the temple because they're asking him to teach some more because they're amazed by his teaching. He began to teach, and the Pharisees bring in this woman that was caught in adultery in, in, in John 8. Remember this? 
this woman that was caught in adultery. And I think we look at the Bible too, I say this all the time, too sterile. This woman caught in adultery, let's move on. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. I don't need to tell you what caught in the act of adultery means. Okay, she was caught in the act of having sex with a man that was not her husband. Like somebody walked in, saw these things happening. This woman's an adulterer. Let's bring her before the temple court and let's stone her to death like the law calls us to stone her, right? Our heart is that we would see. So I don't need to explain that much further. So Jesus dismissed these accusers. The Pharisees were like, we're going to stone this lady because she did blank, blank, blank. Well, Jesus being uh, just the perfect image of God in this moment says, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. So then one by one, starting with the oldest, they dropped their stones and left because Jesus had the, and Jesus juked them, you know? So, um, and then towards the end of chapter eight, Jesus had a heated discussion with the Pharisees on spiritual freedom, right? And it says, they says, they, they get, they, their argument was, well, Abraham was our father. Who are you? Well, where are you from? Right? And Jesus says, well, before Abraham, I am. And they're like, wait a minute, I am. That's bad, that's bad tense of that word, right? I should be, I no, it says I am. Remember in Exodus 3, wherever uh, Moses goes before God and says, who am, I, who am I supposed to tell you, who tell the Egyptians, who sent me? Tell them I am sent you, right? So it says, tell them I am sent you. You look in John 1, 1, it says the word was God. God was before Abraham. And, he, and so they pick up these stones because he had just claimed to be God. But, but Jesus does this Jedi mind trick and hides himself. At John 8, 59 says he hides himself from the Pharisees. And I would love to be in that moment where it's like, where'd he go? Right? I'm not sure if he just walks away kind of inconspicuously, but I don't think that's what happened, right? And so, and it says they picked up stones to stone him, but he was gone. So he le he's leaving the temple with his disciples and sees a man who has been blind since birth. So the man didn't notice Jesus because he was blind right? And, I, and, I, and I, I say that because what's happening here is physically strategic, right? And Jesus is going to use this moment to teach on spiritual blindness. And so in case you didn't know, if you're truly in Christ this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, you didn't seek Jesus out for salvation. You're like, wait a minute. I thought I did. I, I I really turned my life around. I began seeking after God. You know, after high school, I did all the things. After college, I did all the things. And I turned my life around, started going to church, started doing all these things. The Bible says no one does that. No one does that. No one seeks after God. In your sin, you are blind and incapable of doing that, right? God saw you, just like he saw this blind man. God saw you, right? And if you know Jesus, it's because he sought after you which should make the gospel way more emotional for you. God sought after you. You ever had a bad thought? You ever thought, hey, let's just share all our deep, dark secrets. Anybody want to do that? Let's write them down and give them up here. We can read them from stage. You're like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. We start our connect yourself. Sometimes we're going to name our worst sin. Anybody want to do that first? Right? No. God knows all those things about us and still loves us and sent his son to die for us on the cross. One thing I can tell you this morning, you haven't gone too far for God's mercy and grace to reach you. So the disciples asked this guy, asked Jesus, who sinned, his, his, this man or his parents? And so they tried to try to turn this into a theological discussion instead of actually helping this guy, right? But, but don't we do that? Don't we do that as the church? Like we get to these places, we talk about our problems more than we allow the Lord to use us to meet the problem, right? Let's talk about theology. Let's talk about what the Bible actually means about this. Well, let's talk about if we can actually help this person. Guys, we're turning into Pharisees, right? Well, why do they do that? Why do we do that? 
Because it's much easier to discuss problems than it is to minister to people who are hurting. And this morning, I pray that we would see this. So let's look at verse 3 and 5. 3, 2, 5. Jesus answers him and says, Neither this man nor his parents sin. Jesus answered, This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. That, that's an important line if you want to underline that. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so you see, Jesus is setting the stage here, right? He's setting the stage. He's given the assignment in verse 4. While we, you know, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can do the work. And then in verse 6, we're going to see him carry out the assignment for them. You see? So let's look at this. I love this section of, 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 the, of Scripture, 3 through 5. I love this. This is huge. This has massive implications for your life. So if you want an application sermon, this will be it, okay? This is it. I'm going to try my best not to preach so much and kind of teach a little bit, but I'm not sure if I can. I'll try. So what's going to happen here is no matter what mess you find yourself in today, anybody dealing with some issues today? Okay, if you anybody dealing with something in the past? You had something in the past and like just, I'm never going to recover from this. Or I'm, I'm always going to be messed up because I've done this or this was done to me. I was done wrong. Everybody? Everybody in the room is involved in that. I don't care if you want to admit it or not. So what happened to you, that mess or that pain that you've experienced that causes that mess, that pain, that pain and that mess is not, is not decisive in explaining the mess or the problem. That pain, that suffering, what is decisive in explaining that is God's purposes. Okay? God's purposes is what decides that. So there are causes, and some of them are your humanity. Some of them are our, our, our idiocy, right? We make stupid mistakes. Anybody in the room make a mistake before? A dumb mistake, right? So there, some of those are our fault. Some of those aren't our fault. Some of those were done to us. But those causes are not decisive in determining the meaning of those circumstances. You see that? Hear this, okay? What is absolutely decisive is God's purpose. Let's read verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Well, what is God's central purpose? We've said it from this stage many times. God's central purpose in the world is to bring people from all nations. We can get it's going to be on the screen in 2.2 seconds. One, two, three. What's what is God? Here we go. The ultimate purpose of God is to bring people from all nations to do what? To enjoy and to what? Exalt him in all his glory. That's God's purpose in your life. That's God's purpose in your job and your marriage and you're raising your kids and all the things in your life. That's his purpose. If you want to screenshot that and put it on your refrigerator, this is why you exist as a Christian, is to bring people from all nations to glory, to enjoy and exalt him in all of his glory. But my question is this when it comes to suffering. Are you willing and am I willing to embrace suffering if it drives you and others around you to exalt and worship God? question. A lot of us can't answer that honestly this morning. I know it took me a week to be able to answer it honestly. Are we willing to embrace suffering if it drives you and other people around you to exalt worship God? This man was around 30 years old probably. We don't know for sure. He was probably a beggar because if you're blind in this day, you were probably a beggar. Your family probably used you to get money is what happened, right? He had never Seen. And it brings us to this theological crossroads that the disciples kind of touched on. 
But, but my question for us this morning is, that do you believe that suffering can be used by God to bring about a greater good in your life? Uh, it's a question we all need to wrestle with, right? Nobody likes to suffer. Anybody like to suffer? Yeah. Nobody likes to suffer. That'd be weird. Nobody likes pain. Nobody likes tragedy in your life. Nobody likes getting a divorce. Nobody likes when someone dies close to them. Nobody likes losing all your money. Nobody likes being homeless. Nobody likes being sick. Nobody likes these things, right? But do you think that God can use it to bring something good out of it? I think he can. What does God do in suffering? And there's a few ways that we see it used in Scripture. Let's look at those. The first one is he uses it to equip us. He uses pain to equip us. He uses suffering to equip us. Well, for what? What does he use that for? You have to suffer to be able to speak to someone who is suffering, right? If you've, if you've never suffered well and you go try to minister to someone who is suffering and you try to say something to them, you're going to say nothing helpful, right? You're going you're gonna to sound crazy. Like, what do you know about this? You obviously have never dealt with this. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 was able to say, God is the God of all comfort. Why was he able to say that in the Bible? Because he had been in prison, he had been beaten, he had been shipwrecked, he had been lost, he had all these things against him, right? But he was able to comfort others because God had comforted him. You see that? Guys, we're equipped for the mission through our experiences. Can we throw back on the screen God's purposes really quick? I want to read that again. The ultimate purpose of God is to bring people from all nations to enjoy and exalt him in all his glory. You can't bring all nations or all people to enjoy and exalt God unless you are enjoying and exalting God in your life. You can't bring people to enjoy and exalt God through suffering, in the middle of suffering. How would you go to a foreign nation and bring someone to enjoy and exalt him if it was going to mean they lost their family? That'd be hard. That comes from a different place, right? It's important. So the second thing suffering does, it strengthens us. It strengthens us. James said it best. Consider it what? Pure joy when, it, when we face trials. How's that going? Are y'all experiencing pure joy? Man, praise God, he's going to do something wonderful in my life because I just lost everything. Anybody dealing with that? No, is, is that good? That's not what we do. Don't try to be holy right now. That's not what we do. But James goes on and he gives us a reason. The reason why pain, suffering, trials, persecution, the trying of our faith produces perseverance. It strengthens us for the mission. The third thing, this is my favorite, it, it corrects us. I was joking. I have two children. Uh, I spank them when it's necessary. Some of you are like, I ain't going to this church ever again. Listen, I was spanked as a child. But let me tell you, the pain that was afflicted on me at that stage in my life, it created discipline because I was corrected by a godly father. And there's a difference between abuse and discipline, okay? Let's clarify that in a 2023 culture, okay? But look what David said. David said in Psalms 119, he says, I was afflicted. Afflicted means I was caused to suffer. Pain was put on my life. I went astray, is what he said, but now... I keep your word. Basically, I wasn't keeping your word, but now I am keeping your word because you disciplined me, right? Praise God for that correction, right? That's a grace. That correction is a grace. So God uses suffering to get our attention and to correct us. Do we see that? So listen, in Christ, this is big. In Christ, suffering is not something that happens to you. It's something that happens for you. 
okay? In Christ, suffering is not something that happens to you. It's something that happens for you. So if you're going through pain, trials, temptations, persecutions, and you're like, woe is me. I'm in a bad situation. I'm never getting out of this. My life is ruined. You're focused on yourself. You're being self-centered. The question needs to be, what does God want to teach me out of this? Romans 8. Romans 8, 28. Who knows this verse? Has you ever posted this verse on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or written it on this or this or that? We know that all things work together for the good of those who love the God, who are called according to his purposes, right? Romans 8, 28, and then 29, what does it say? We don't like verse 29 because 28, you know, what does it say? For those he foreknew, he also predestined. Don't get hell up on foreknew and predestined. That's another sermon series. For those he foreknew, those, these are his people, the people of God, the Christians, he did this to be conformed to the image of his son. And so whenever I'm dealing with things, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord or are called according to his purposes. Yeah, those things happen so I can be conformed into the image of the son of God. So when my life is not looking like I want it to look, if I'm dealing with persecution, trial, temptation, all these things that are coming against me, I'm not, and if I'm not thinking this is to equip me, this is to strengthen me, this is to, uh, what was the last one? To correct me. If I'm not thinking that way, that I'm missing Romans 8, 29, that God is trying to conform me to the image of his son. And for those of you that are late to the party, that's the point of being a Christian, is to become like Christ. And if you're not doing that, then you're missing the boat. So don't say, this happened to me. Say, it. this is happening for me. And then learn, learn and grow. So if we know, so if we know there's a purpose in the pain, if we know there's a purpose in suffering, then we can know that it will all be worth everything that we endure. So you have to know this to suffer well. You understand? It's huge. I ask you again, are we willing to embrace suffering if it drives you closer to God? Are we scared to pray prayers, God, draw me closer to you no matter what it takes? I want to I tell you something. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. But it's a prayer that's worth praying because eternity is a long time and life is short. And I want to be close to God, not this world. John 9, let's keep going. Verse 6 and 7. Got a long way to go, but it's going to get quicker, I promise. This is a setup, okay? After he said these things, he spit on the ground. I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing, right? So he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread, spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent, so he left, washed, and came back, what? Seen. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. He came back seen, right? So Jesus is setting the stage for everything else in this chapter. Jesus said in verse 3 that the man was born blind so that the works of God may be what? Put on display. So Jesus is putting him on display right now. Here we go, buddy. Watch this, everybody. Everybody watching here, this is it. Then in verse 4, he says, we must do the works of him who sent me. So he's literally doing this, right? And in verse 6, Jesus makes mud and, and heals the man. So it sets the stage for the question of this entire series, who is this Jesus? My question for you in your life is, who is Jesus? And how does your life reflect your answer? I don't care if you give me a Bible school answer. Oh, Jesus is the son of God. born on cross. You can even recite the gospel. Even the demons can do that. It's your life declaring the praises of Jesus. And I'll tell you ahead of time what's going to happen. Everybody like a good spoiler, right? What's going to happen is the drama that's about to happen here is all designed by God 
to show how the person and the work of Jesus leads some to blasphemy and leads other people to worship. You see this? Your response to Jesus is going to be one of the two. Everybody in this room, your response to Jesus is going to be blasphemy. No, he's not God. Or worship. Yes, he is God. My life reflects that. There's a lot of people that have this in their heart, but have this mask on. You see what I'm saying? Oh, I, I believe in Jesus, but my life looks nothing like it. I don't live as a living sacrifice. I don't, I don't, I'm not invested in the body of Christ. I'm not discipling people. I'm not sharing the love of Jesus with people around me more than just a God bless you when someone sneezes, right? So he sets this stage. And then, then the blasphemy is found in verse 24. Jump ahead. I'm, we're going we're gonna to backtrack. Don't worry. So a second time, the Pharisees summoned this blind man who, who's now been healed and told him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus, right? So in other words, God, get, God gets glory when you call Jesus a sinner, is what they're saying to him. In case you didn't know, it's blasphemous to say you're glorifying God when you're demonizing Jesus. You hear that? That goes against John 1.1, 1, 1, okay? But that was not the only response to the healing of the blind man. There's also worship. Look at verse 38. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. So this is the climax of the story. The last thing the man does in the text before he disappears from the story is what? Worship Jesus. The word worship here is a different word than, re, than it's used in other places in John and in the books of, of the Bible. It says the word, the Greek word is proskuneo. And it's used, it's where we get our word from prostrate. I prostrate myself on the ground. I lay my face on the ground. You see this in Daniel 10 where an angel of the Lord comes and he falls on the ground as though what? Dead. Right? He, he, that's where John sees an angel, of the, sees Jesus, and he sees Jesus in his glorified form, and he falls on his face as they're dead. I'm worshiping you because I see you for who, who you are. This blind man had come to Jesus and seen him for who he is, and his only response is worship. So that's where the story is going, and those who, have, those who have eyes in this story will say the same thing as John 1.14 that we talked about last week. It says, we have observed his glory, the glory of the one and the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And that's what the blind man saw. That's what he saw. That's what the Pharisees didn't see, which is why this chapter ends with blindness, just like it began with blindness, just a more sinister type of blindness, right? Spiritual blindness. And so let's watch how this unfolds. Let's look at, let's, my, so my question is this. I have a couple questions. Why, why does Jesus use mud? Why did he just say, see? This guy, this, this, this man, this, this God, he, he declared planets and solar systems into being by saying, exist. And they were, right? He said, let there be light. What does it say? There was light. Because creation obeys its creator, right? So why did he just say, see? All right, let's go. Right, no. He's bringing glory to God. I think Jesus did this because it was against the law to do this on the Sabbath. So it's like thug life right now, right? Sabbath, watch this. So when he spit on the ground, the, the, the Jews had this law even to the point where if you spit on the ground and it rolled more than one time, it was against the law. Isn't that crazy? I'm like, what are you doing? Like you're, you're, you're going fishing, you spit on the ground, and it's like, oh, it rolled too many times, bro. Got to go repent. It's too much, too much. So I think Jesus was trying to prove a point. So he wanted to turn the heat up here that would bring out both the blasphemy 
and the worship. He was turning the heat up on the Jews, right? And this guy. We can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, where it says, It is necessary that there be factions among you. Well, why? So that those who are approved, those Christians, may be recognized among you. So what that says is today in the church, maybe even in this church, there's wheat, but there's also tares. We'll do some real preaching, right? What that's saying, the Bible says that in every church, there are people that look like wheat, but aren't wheat. There are people that look like Christians, but aren't Christians. That's it. It's kind of nervous, right? But that's what the Bible was supposed to do. And I'm just the messenger. Don't get mad at me or, quote, or give, me a, give us a bad review or whatever. But this is what the Bible says. The Bible speaks of this. And so he's turning up the heat. And you can see this in verse 13 to 14. They brought the man who, was, who used to be blind. I love that. Used to be blind. That's crazy. To the Pharisees. The the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. And the Pharisees asked him again, how did you receive your sight? So this mud making is connected to the Sabbath. And these jokers had developed these subsections of the law to make sure they were keeping it. So God gave them 10. They added 600,000 other laws to make sure they were keeping the 10 to kind of hedge them in. I can't do this. So I got to make sure I got, I got to make sure I don't break the law because I, we broke the law in the Old Testament and God sent us into exile and the Babylonians came and took over our land and our, our people. We were in slavery. We never want to do that again. And so what happened was one of those things was one of the laws was you can't knead dough on, on the Sabbath. You can't, you can't make bread. And the word for mud is the same as the word for dough. So Jesus had broke the law because he made mud. Crazy, man. My next question is, why does Jesus do it on the Sabbath? I think it was to show that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. You know what I'm saying? Matthew, two, Matthew 12, verse 8, you know what that says? For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. John 1, 1, the Word was God. Who gets to define the Sabbath? Well, the Lord of the Sabbath gets to define the Sabbath and what it was meant for, right? So Jesus is defining. He defines the Sabbath because he created the Sabbath. Jesus healed this man to show the actual point of the Sabbath that they had gotten wrong, right? So the point of the Sabbath is that you and me are helpless. Anybody else know that? Some of you are still young and think you got it together. You don't, right? The point of the Sabbath is that we are helpless. We need rest and God heals and God restores and God sustains, right? That's the point of the Sabbath. So what better day for Jesus to find a broken man and heal him is on the Sabbath. This is what the Sabbath is about. To give him rest from the struggles of blindness. Who knows that there's a struggle that's attached to blindness, right? The struggle's legs are probably all bruised up. No, mine are and I have, I have sight. And he does this on the Sabbath to trigger this controversy that goes on for 41 verses. Hearts get exposed, hearts are shaped, faith gets revealed, faith gets strengthened, and this blind man becomes clearer and clearer who Jesus is, and he becomes stronger in his courage and in his defending of his faith against some very dangerous religious leaders of that day. And so this is what Jesus was after, clear sight, clear sight of who he was, a courageous confession of faith, and worship. So this morning, ask yourself, write these down, ask them later, just evaluate your life. Do I have clear sight? Do I see Jesus clearly? Do I know who he is? Do I courageously confess my faith in public to people around me? Do I share the love of Jesus through sharing the gospel? I'm not saying, hey, have a nice day. God bless you. I'll pray for you. That's not sharing your faith. 
The gospel is a spoken message that I share before Christ. I was dead in my sin, but because of Jesus, I'm now alive in Christ. He's coming back one day, so I live for him. Brief, brief summary. And then also, are you worshiping Jesus? And I'm not talking about coming to church and singing a few songs with the other believers. I'm talking about living your life as a life of worship for him. This is what Jesus is after. And the exposure of blasphemous hearts would ensue at this point. So look at John 9, 7. Look back at verse 7. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. So he left, washed, and was, came back seeing. So it says the man came back seeing. So he had to leave Jesus' presence, go wash, and then come back. Can you imagine what that walk back was like for this man who could now see? If I was him, I would have toured the entire city. Oh, my gosh, look at this. Look at this. What is that thing? What's happening? My eyes, there's an awe and a wonder that happens when you can see when you haven't been able to see. When you get spiritual sight, there's an awe and wonder that happens because you see things you never saw. You experience things you never experienced because you're not living for this world. You're living for a higher plane. That's the beauty of this moment. So I want to focus on the next five interactions that we see. They're going to be really fast. Eight through 12. Let's read these together. His neighbors... This is going to be between the man and his neighbors. So these are, I'm going to give you five interactions. The first interaction, this dude and his neighbors. Verse 8. His neighbors, remember, his neighbors, the definition of a neighbor is someone who lives in proximity to you, okay? His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the man who used to be sitting begging? Some said he is the one. Others said, no, nah, he's not the one. It just looks like him. Maybe him. He kept saying, I am the one. I'm the, I, you know me. I live next door to you, right? I see you every day since I was 10, right? And you know me. So he goes on. So they asked him, then how are your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus. The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told him, told me, go to Psalm and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he said. So they were arguing about whether this blind beggar was his neighbor, these people was, was his neighbors. He, he insisted that, guys, you know me. So, so they ask him in verse 10, what are they, what are they asking? Then, then how are your eyes opening? He answers them, the man called Jesus made mud and put it on my eyes. Now I see. If you underline in your Bible, underline the man called Jesus. Is that saving faith? Uh, not quite. This guy called Jesus, he did something to my eyes and now I can see. Right? And this is where a lot of Christians sit. This man called Jesus showed up in church this morning. And we prayed for a guy and he got healed, right? That's, that's what you call a close association, but maybe not saving faith. There's a lot of Christians that sit in that. I know who Jesus is. I heard about him. I know a little bit about him. I read a little bit about the Bible, but I'll, he's not my savior yet, right? At this point, he calls Jesus the man called Jesus. He knows the name, but he simply calls him the man. And we're going to see a transition in a minute. The second little interaction we see is the man and the Pharisees. Look at verse 13. They brought the man who had been, been blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud, opened his eyes, was a Sabbath. And the Pharisees, uh, Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, I washed it, and it was clean. Same thing he had said to his neighbors. Like, guys, y'all, are, y'all, are y'all dumb? Just said this. Put eyes on my, he put mud on my eyes. I washed. I can see. Simple. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. It's basically saying Jesus is not God because he doesn't keep our laws, the ones that we put in place. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs then? 
And there was a division among them. They were fighting. Again, they asked the man, what do you, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. So he's getting a little bit deeper in his faith now. He was just a man named Jesus. Now he's a prophet sent by God. You see this? He's getting a little bit deeper. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received his sight until they summoned his parents who had received, who had received his sight. They asked him, uh, as far as I'm supposed to go, I'm sorry. Let's stop there. So he, he, asked, he was asked again how, how it is that he could see when he had been blind. And he tells them he can't be from God because he broke the law. Jesus had broken the law. He, how can he do a sign if he's a sinner? And so they asked the beggar again in verse 17, what do you say? And so something in this conversation is changing his heart. He's beginning to see and believe. And so you see his faith is growing. In this moment, so let's keep looking. Let's look at the Pharisees and the parents. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received his sight until they summoned his parents, so the one who had received his sight. They asked, they asked him, is this your son, the one who was born blind? How then does he now see? So we know this is our son, and we know he was born blind, his parents answered. But we don't, we don't know how he now sees. We don't know how his eyes were opened. Ask him. He's of age. Throws him under the bus. Man's just got, I mean, this is your son. He can see now for the first time in 30 odd years, right? He can see the first time. He's of age. You talk to him. You're not celebrating your son? What's going on here? He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, Jesus as the Messiah, he'd be banned, de-synagogued. This is why his parents say he's of age. So they asked him in 19, is this your son, born blind? Why does he see? They answered, and he is our son. He was born blind, but we don't know how he was healed. And John says in verse 22, the reason they said that was because they feared the Jews. And I think at this point, it, what's happening is, 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 not, is not to be hard on the parents, but this is to highlight the faith of the man, right? You see that? This is not to say, oh, his parents are terrible, right? Uh, the son's courage is getting more and more strong, right? This guy was a beggar, the lowest of the low in society. And this guy is standing before the Pharisees, the elite religious leaders of the day. And you see this happening. So the parents, they're, they're, they're on their way to faith, but their son is moving a lot faster here. You see that? See that? So let's keep going. The man and the Pharisees, the rematch. Okay, let's look at the rematch. Verse 24. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answers, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. This is probably one of the greatest things in the Bible as you read the great way to share your faith. One thing I do know is I was blind and now I see. What a great statement. Then they ask him, how did he do it? What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He's like, at this point, he's getting frustrated. I already told you. He said, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to be his disciples too, do you? I love this. Sarcasm is in the Bible. They ridiculed him. You're the man's disciple, but we're Moses' descendants, disciples. We know that God had spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. I love this. This is, this is boldness. This is boldness. This man was a beggar five minutes ago, a beggar on the street standing before the Pharisees. This is an amazing thing. He's sarcastic as all get out right now. This is an amazing thing, he, they told him. You don't know where he came from, and yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind, congenital blindness. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do this. You were born entirely in sin. And they replied, are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. Man, he got bold quick, right? So here we see the full-blown courage of this dude, right? A beggar standing up to the most religious elite, the most educated people in the land, right? And so can you imagine this moment? Put yourself in this moment, standing before Congress, standing before a great leader of our nation, right? And you're in this place, and here we can see the full-blown blasphemy of the Pharisees, right? Verse 24, we talked about, give glory to God. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Join us in our blasphemy, right? Or we'll excommunicate you from our religion. We'll kick you out of your faith. And so amazingly, he responds to this threat with one of the most famous statements of all, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That is the greatest confession of any Christian in this room. All you should know is that you are spiritually blind, but now you're spiritually alive and you can see. That's the, that is the quotation of a Christian. And this is a great, powerful, uh, this is a great power in a testimony uh, over a bad argument. I was blind, but now I see. I don't care about, I don't know about all this stuff. All I know is what God's done in my life. I don't want to have a theological argument with you. All I know is what God has done in my life through Jesus. That's it, period. That's it. The truth about who Jesus was was getting deeper and deeper into this man's heart. You can see he's getting, he's seeing. He's, he wasn't just healed of his blindness right then. It was getting more and more bright of who he was and what he was doing. And his courage becomes sarcasm. Why do you want to hear this story again? Do you also want to become his disciple? I love that line. And then they become hostile. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. But we know, they, we know they weren't disciples of Moses based off this scripture. They were cultural Judaizers, right? Cultural Christians too, right? They were cultural Judaizers. They were just, they were just, they were, they were believers in God by, by culture only, right? right? Where's verse, what does Jesus say in John 5, 46? He says this. For if you believe in Moses, you would believe in me because Moses wrote about me. So it's like, listen, listen here. Like if you believed in Moses, if you were Moses' disciples, then you would believe in me because Moses talked about me and prophesied about me. And that made them even harder in the heart. And now we start seeing who the truly blind really are in this story, right? He's, his courage for Jesus continues to grow. Look at verse 30 again. He says, this is an amazing thing, the man told him. You don't know where he come from, yet he opened my eyes. And then he begins teaching the teachers in verse 32. He talks about the Old Testament. And it was absolutely true because if you go back in the Old Testament, there's not one single recorded instance of a blind man who was born that way that could see again. He was spot on. And what I love about this, what's happening in this man's soul from verse 1 to verse 34 is truly amazing. And this is what happens in our hearts when we come to Christ. And these people, the Pharisees, they can't handle it. And this is what happens when you start losing an argument. You start attacking the person instead of the issue. It's called an ad hominem argument. You start attacking the person. Ah, oh, yeah, you, know, you, don't, you don't know anything. You, you, your, your, your mom stinks or something, you know? It's like you start attacking the person instead of the issue. And this meant, this was kicking, and they kicked him out of Judaism. They kicked him out of the synagogue. And what this meant in that culture is that he would be viewed as worse than a Gentile in that culture. In that culture, that was bad. We talked about it last week. 
But the blind man was seeing more and more clearly of what was going on. And the Pharisee's blindness was getting worse and worse and worse. And I want to tell you this morning, the longer you live in spiritual blindness, the worse it gets and the harder it is to come out of it. My heart today is that we would not be spiritually blind. Let's look at the last interaction, the fifth interaction is in, is in John 9, 35. Let's look at this together. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, so Jesus goes and looks for this guy, right? He, he's, he goes and looks for the outcast. It's kind of a good analogy. He asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him, he asked. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you now. He says, I believe, Lord, he said, and worshiped him. Jesus said, I can't, this is so big. Please listen to this. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see spiritually deaf, spiritually blind will see. And those who do not see will become blind. And so what I love about this is that we're seeing such a transformation in this man. And so the one thing that makes this so significant is that Jesus initiates this pursuing Jesus initiates this. This dude had been threatened, cast out of his lifelong religious community, but Jesus seeks him and finds him. And if you have a CSB Bible, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what your headings are. Is the only reason why I say that. The next chapter, verse 10, my Bible says the good shepherd. And so you see this analogy already happening, happening. And there's no accident in the next chapter is Jesus as the shepherd who is gathering his sheep. He's going after his sheep. And just like the Samaritan woman last week, we see a full-blown proclamation of faith. This man is saved in this moment. And the last thing we see of him is him proclaiming his faith. But that's the point of John. It's not about the man. It's about Jesus. Right? It's all about Jesus. We write it in 79-foot font on the wall outside. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The man was blind, and then he called Jesus the man, and then he called him a, a prophet, and then he defended his faith in front of the Pharisees, and then he fell on his face and worshiped God because of Jesus. And this is why Jesus came into the world, because he's seeking worshipers. So the band wants to come back. We're, we're about to close. But I, I want to look at verses 40 and 41 really quick before we leave. Some of the Pharisees were with him, and they heard these things, and they asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? I'm not sure if they were being sincere or not. I don't think they were. But some of the Pharisees heard Jesus say this, and they asked, we aren't, we aren't blind too. Jesus said, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have sin. But now that, now that you say we see, your sin remains. I love this. I love this. In Matthew 23, Jesus calls the Pharisees the blind that are leading the blind. The blind that are leading the blind. Can you imagine that more chaotic scenario? A blind person leading more blind people? Right? He spoke about them being in darkness, not knowing God. And that's what spiritual darkness is. But here's a man who is blind, but was blind, but now he can see. And so verse 41, Jesus is saying... And hear this, if you hadn't listened to anything I said this morning, hear this. If you were to admit that you're blind this morning, you'd be able to see like this guy. And he's saying this to those Pharisees, if you'll just come and admit that you're blind, I'll give you true spiritual sight. But if you come to me and say, I can see just fine, I'm not going to mess with you because you're arrogant. 
But he said, what he's saying to these Pharisees is you are worse off than this man who was born blind and sat at the gate and begged his whole life. As spiritually speaking, you are worse off than that is what he's saying to these Pharisees. And I want to close with three very fast truths that I pray that you would take to heart. The first one we saw from this story is God has a Christ-exalting purpose for everything that happens to you. God has a Christ-exalting purpose for everything that happens to you. Some of you may be hurt in this room. Some of you may have been hurt in the church. Some of you may have had a pastor that had done you wrong, a spouse that has done you wrong. Somebody may have lost everything and is working their way back. My heart for you today is that you would understand Christ. There's a, there's a Christ-exalting purpose for everything that happens to you that's given to you by God. What did this man do to make Jesus notice him? Nothing. He was doing the same thing he did every day. Uh, you're right, I was blind, just being blind. Jesus sought him out, this nobody, this beggar, and he's, he's seeking you out today. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're living in sin and he's calling you back, but specifically those who do not know Jesus and think they do. My heart today is that you understand the only, the only prerequisite for you to come to Christ is for you to admit that you don't know Christ and that you're blind. But what the enemy has done, he has lied to a lot of people in our culture and told them they're saved because they know a lot about this book. And they know a lot about church culture and not Christian culture. And my heart this morning is that you would do a quick evaluation and we would not leave the same way we came because there's many living in cultural Christianity today that are not going to see Jesus. And, I, and my heart is that we would fight to not let that happen here. The second thing, Jesus is seeking you out to make you a worshiper. And I'm not talking about singing songs at a religious gathering. That's a part of it. That's just an overflow of the other things that God does in your life. But if you come into a room and you don't want to worship the creator of all things because you're scared of what people are going to think about you, you have no spiritual sight to see the one that you are worshiping deserves far more recognition than a self-protective heart of your image. That's just real preaching, man. That's just what it is. My heart is that we would be we would be like this guy laying out before Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for everything. Your soul, I'm not necessarily saying physically all the time. I'm saying my soul laying before God. I'm talking about him supernaturally opening your eyes to your sin, then you repenting of your sin and submitting to Christ. I'm talking about experiencing and enjoying his grace and then extending his glory out into the world. I'm talking about leveraging your life to make him, his name great, not having your name on a church roll somewhere. I'm talking about being invested in the mission, not warming a seat. And the third thing, without Jesus, spiritual blindness is fatal. Without Jesus, spiritual blindness is fatal. And let me say this very clear. Unless God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, supernaturally opens your eyes from your spiritual blindness, your blindness will kill you. And some of these some of us in here today, we need to understand that the common thing that Satan likes to do, well, Jesus has never come and tried to open my eyes. I can promise you he did 2,000 years ago. I can promise you in this Bible, every word is meant to reveal Christ to you. And this is only possible through Jesus. No amount of knowledge, no amount of morality, or church attendance is going to open your eyes. We just need Jesus to open our eyes to see 
And he promises, man, all we need to do is come and admit I'm blind. Right? That sounds easy, but guess what that takes? That takes humility. Guess what Satan tries to tempt us with? Pride. Look at me. I got my life together. I got my job. My 401k is tight. I got all this stuff together. I got his house. I got his family. I got all these things, right? Why was it so easy for the blind man to come to Jesus but not the Pharisee? Because he had nothing to lose. Some people don't come to Christ because they have too much to lose. This morning, let me just tell you, the things you think you have to lose are a facade. They're not real. Because everything that you own will one day be owned by somebody else. Somebody's going to remodel the house that you built. Somebody's going to drive the car that you bought, right? The only thing we have, the only thing that's going to last is what we do for Christ. So the question this morning as we close, do you worship Jesus? And you say, Michael, I've worshiped Jesus my whole life. That's not my question. My question is, are you new? Are you new? Have you been made new like 2 Corinthians talks about? Are you making disciples? Have you committed your life to extend his glory? And if the answer is no to these questions, then it's possible you are a worshiper of Jesus and you need to come to Christ for salvation, man. And I want to tell you this, coming to Christ, it's going to cost you something. A lot of people will preach, come to Jesus and your life will get better. Tell that to Paul. Tell this to the blind man who got kicked out of his church who lost his family. Tell this to the Iranian church, is the fastest growing church in the world right now, who, who, who run the risk of dying, who run the risk of being kicked out of their families, who run the risk of being persecuted. It's going to cost you something, but the reward for following Jesus is going to forever be worth more than what you give up. The man from John 9 lost everything that he once knew, but he gained so much more. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Um, my heart for you today is that, that you would follow Christ. I pray this morning, my prayer this week has been that if, if we are living in any type of spiritual darkness in this room, that this week that God would reveal that to us and that we would see it for what it is and we would understand that, that Jesus is the way and, that, and there is a humility that is given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit to admit that we're walking in spiritual darkness. And I want to give you an opportunity to come out of that and not, not to do with anything with Michael or this, or this staff or, these, or this church or anything to do with Connection Church, but only with Jesus. Because time is short. Jesus says the day is passing quickly. There's an urgency that's happening in the church. There's an urgency that's happening in this world. Jesus is going to return. What a day that's going to be. But we have to be ready we have to have our hearts in the right places. Our eyes must be open. And I pray we would never find ourselves in a place where Jesus says, many of you said to me, Lord, Lord, but on that day I'll cast you out because I never knew you. I pray that you know Jesus. And so this morning, if you, you may have been in church your entire life. You may have done this, gone to this camp, prayed this prayer, done that thing, but your life has not been identified with the Holy Spirit working through you and in you to carry out the works of your Father, which is the A number one reflection of a changed life, of someone who has gone from death to life in Christ. Your desires have changed. Your life direction has changed. The way you spend your money, your time, your talents has changed. If that's you in this room and you realize, hey, I need, I, this morning I walked in blind, but now I see 
Or maybe you're like the man in the first part of the story. This man named Jesus has done something, and it's crazy. I just, I, and he started processing it, and then he called him a prophet, and then he called him the son of God. Maybe you need help processing that. Well, we want to walk with you this morning. And so this morning, if, if you know that the, today you need to receive Christ, you know, you understand that, that God made Jesus who knew no sin to come and die on our behalf to, so that we could become the righteousness of God, that, that, that exchange of, of, of grace for our sins and, and, for, and for mercy for our shame. If you know this morning that all you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus has, has come and died on the cross and rose from the dead, it, you believe it and you confess it with your mouth, it says you'll be saved. I'm not saying come pray a prayer. I'm, come, I'm saying come change the direction of your life. If that's you this morning, you say, Michael, that's me. I know today is the day of salvation for me. Or, or maybe you say, I think that is, but I just need to ask, I have some questions. We want to talk to you. Would you just do something bold with every head bowed and every eye closed? You just raise your hand and say, Michael, that's me this morning. Would you just be bold and do that this morning? Death to life in Christ. We would, a new life. Don't let Satan lie to you right now. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else want to say, hey, today's the day I need to turn my life in the direction of Jesus. Let me pray for it. As I pray, those of you that are saved in this place and you, you need to turn towards Christ again, repent of any sin, walk in a new light, I pray this altar would be open, this prayer team would be used. Don't do life alone and don't let Satan keep you from being bold like this blind man was. So God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We praise you for your glory. We praise you for giving us Jesus. God, I pray that we would never... Um, never look past the cross. We'd never look past the gospel. We would never look past what you're doing in this life, God, in, in this world, God. I pray that we would not be blind. I pray that you would open our eyes to see. God, thank you for this brother who, who made a decision for you. Thank you for, for, for giving him the, the courage and the bravery to, to step into the light even, Lord. God, work in our church. God, make us a church who goes after people that you're after, Jesus. Use us, Father. Don't let us be stagnant. Don't let us be um, on the sidelines of our faith. We've got to get, put us in the game. God, open our eyes. Continuously open our eyes and don't let us be lulled to sleep by the satanic lullaby that our culture is believing. God, we worship you. We adore you. We lift your name on high. In Jesus' name, amen.